There's a difference between deregulation and simplifying the production of green projects and green fuels in Europe and lowering ambitions. Welcome to The Jolt. It's the 26th of February. I'm your host, Sam Morgan. Coming up later in today's show, I'm going to be looking at a new plan by the shipping industry to make expensive green fuels cheaper and cheap polluting fuels more expensive. Stick around for that. Just before we get into the news updates, we here at The Jolt wanted to get your view on something. Nuclear power is in the news a fair amount lately. Whether it's governments saying they want to build new reactors or existing projects announcing severe cost and time overruns, atomic power is in vogue. At the recent COP28 climate summit, an alliance of countries pledged to triple their nuclear capacity by 2050, and the European Union is trying to help commercialise small modular reactors. With all of this in mind, do you think that we're at the beginning of a nuclear power renaissance? Or is it all just talk? Check out the link in the show notes to a poll we're running on this topic. Please vote. Kira and I will discuss the results in Friday's show. Now on to the big climate and energy stories making headlines around the world. Qatar has announced plans to massively increase its production of liquefied natural gas. The discovery of new gas reserves means that output will increase by nearly 85% by the end of the decade, according to the Financial Times. Oil and gas giant Shell forecasts that LNG appetites will double by 2040, as growth in Asia in particular is set to drive demand. Sweden's government has launched an inquiry into the potential lifting of its uranium mining ban. The moratorium has been in place since 2018, when the government of the time decided that the environmental impact and risks caused by mining radioactive materials were simply too great. But Sweden has plans to build more reactors, and its plentiful nuclear fuel deposits are proven to be too tempting to ignore. The inquiry will last until mid-May. Local governments have the right to veto mining projects, but it is not guaranteed in the country's constitution, meaning a simple vote in parliament could overturn it. Kazakhstan is moving forward with plans to invest in nuclear power. The Central Asian country is the world's largest uranium producer, but has no commercial reactors of its own. Its only Soviet-era plant closed in the 1990s, but according to a new energy strategy, the government wants to start the process for building a 2.4 gigawatt plant and will hold a nationwide referendum on the issue. Kazakhstan returned more than 1,000 nuclear warheads to Russia after declaring independence in 1991, and has played a leading role in non-proliferation efforts ever since. It's an emotional subject for the country. The Soviet Union used Kazakhstan for nuclear weapons testing, ignoring most environmental and human health protocols. The fallout of the tests are still felt by hundreds of communities. In Belgium, the collapse of an electric vehicle charging firm has left hundreds of motorists frustrated. Powerdale went bankrupt last year and customers are now feeling the pinch after an official app needed to charge vehicles went offline. 50,000 of Powerdale's chargers do not have physical controls like buttons or a menu interface, and everything has to be done through the app, the Brussels Times reports, and other charging apps are incompatible. For more on these nitty-gritty data issues associated with EVs, Tune into the Policy Dispatch next week, when we'll be learning more about interoperability. 
Stormy weather pushed wind generation up to mighty levels last week, and it also sped up plane journeys. A powerful jet stream above the Atlantic caused a New York-Lisbon flight to reach more than 1,300 kilometers an hour. That's about 420 kilometers an hour faster than the average speed for that flight. Top Gun, eat your heart out. Check out this BBC report in the show notes about how climate change is likely to make flight times shorter. And in Wales, the last train carrying coal made its final journey along a line that has been used for more than a century to transport the fuel. The Rumney Valley is one of the main arteries linking Wales's coal mining areas with ports on the south coast. Mine closures and a collapse of demand caused largely by cheaper imports mean the final chapter has now been written in this particular story. Coal mining is synonymous with Wales, and although a final shipment is cause for celebration from a climate point of view, the symbolism of this final train journey and how it represents thousands of jobs that have been lost over the years and the communities impacted by that also cannot be ignored. Check the show notes for a link to the pictures. That's it for your news updates today. More tomorrow. Now it's time to get into the story of the moment. Shipping is an aspect of the energy transition that we've covered before on The Jolt, Developments are coming in thick and fast in 2024, as the sector looks to change course and set sail for greener waters. A meeting of the International Maritime Organization's Environment Protection Committee in March is focusing mines, and the World Shipping Council, the sector's leading industry association, has just published a new plan that aims to decarbonise shipping at a quicker pace. Alternative green fuels are too expensive and are in short supply. Carbon pricing has only just kicked off in Europe, and will take time to bite. So what can be done to close the price gap? Let's find out. The Green Balance Mechanism is a new proposal put together by the World Shipping Council that aims to close the gap between conventional polluting shipping fuels and low-carbon alternatives that are currently being held back by a higher price premium. Essentially, shippers using carbon-intensive fuels will be charged a fee, which will be paid into the mechanism. Shippers that opt to use more expensive low-carbon or even zero-carbon fuels will receive financial support from the mechanism. Danish shipping giant Maersk is a member of the council and is a big supporter of the plan. The firm recently launched its first big methanol-powered cargo ship and has vessels on order that will help clean up its fleet even further. Simon Berghoff, head of Maersk's European Regulatory Affairs team, who some of you may remember from a great episode of the Policy Dispatch last year, Explain to me why the balance mechanism is actually needed. Not like the World Shipping Council is coming in with a proposal that is completely uh, revolutionizing everything that's on the table at IMO. It is very much a, a bridging proposal where we're trying to bring probably the best of what's been proposed from different regions of the world together in one proposal, uh, which we then have called uh, the green balance mechanism. And the idea is that it's really all about rewarding the use of, of really green fuels and do so proportionally. So we actually enable it to start at a lower level. So we avoid to have some direct uh, inflationary impact. Uh, so there's quite a lot of, of analysis that's, that's gone behind finding the ideal starting point for this in terms of just how much green fuel is actually needed to get to the targets of the IMO of 30% reduction in 2030. And we do so then by placing a fee on the fossil fuels and then using part of that fee to reward the green fuels. But the difference here is that it's proportional. So the worse the fuels, the more you pay, 
the greener the fuels, the more you get. That is the biggest uh, issue and challenge that we see right now in shipping. And it's no longer a question of can we get the fuels, can we get can we get it elsewhere? It's a question of narrowing that gap between renewable and fossil. And technically, this can be done from day one with this proposal. Why is there a need to put it forward now? There is a certain change in attitude towards what was being put forward in the Fit for 55 and the Green Deal. We're seeing a lot of states pull the handbrake. We're seeing some sort of what I would call climate populism, whereby people are saying, oh, well, haven't we done enough now with this, with this green regulation? And it's just extremely important for MASC to point out that there's a difference between deregulation and simplifying the production of green projects and green fuels in Europe and lowering ambitions. But we have to now maintain high ambitions. The worst thing you can do to a company such as Maersk is basically change the ambitions that you've just set, right? And we believe they're good. And so there was also this signal to be sent from the industry, from the line of shipping industry saying, we believe in this, but we need this regulation to be steadfast and we need it to maintain high ambitions. And this is the pathway to get there. The shipping sector really reads from the same charts and not everybody is on board with the idea. I asked Simon how challenging it will be for the mechanism's advocates to gather support at the IMO for the proposal. So I, I think we're relatively realistic in the sense that we know that, that there's going to be maybe 30 different proposals on the table at IMO uh, here in mid-March. And it's, it's rather unlikely that one is going to come out the victor of, of the, all those proposals. So we also understand that the green balance mechanism will be our input to it. What the hope is, is that the elements that we have in there are going to serve as a basis for the final outcome. There's never been a time where more proposed to do this at IMO than now. So we have now the IMO's commitment to delivering these midterm measures within a year and a half. And so we really can't afford not to push as much as we can for having a, a market-based measure. And we really need to focus on closing that gap now. Because what I would hate to be is in a year and a half, looking back and thinking, I should have done this or we should have done that. And then we had a bigger chance of getting this adopted. So we, yes, we have to fight. We have to fight very hard. We have to fight the member states that do not want progress. We have to fight the member states that are worried about the inflationary impact of such measures. We even have to fight parts of, uh, of our stakeholders that believe that there's never going to be a pricing mechanism and we should focus on something else. The momentum is there, so we really need to push that through for the next meeting. For some, the idea for a balance mechanism is flawed and will not achieve the decarbonisation goals that it's meant to. Tristan Smith, a reader in Energy and Shipping at University College London, told me why he is not a fan. We don't think the sector really needs this. We think it's unnecessary and, and unhelpful. There's, the shipping industry has, has a particular challenge because it's got a known or broadly accepted long-run solution, which is hydrogen-derived fuels. And in the interim period, we know those are going to be very expensive because they're immature, but there will be lower-cost fuels that can achieve some level of reduction in greenhouse gas emissions and reduction in pollution, uh, biofuels. And, and that particular conundrum that there's a no long run solution and a shorter run dead end solution in biofuels and various other transition technologies, it's not limited to biofuels, but they're the kind of main one, means that it's very important to design policy that provides incentive for the long run solution early. And the main shortcoming of the green balance mechanism is that it rewards fuels as a function of their greenhouse gas reductions today 
and that means that in, on top of the fact that there's already a competitive advantage of biofuel the mechanism will primarily fund and potentially uniquely fund the biofuel solutions which are dead-end solutions rather than what we really need which is a policy that can stimulate the early use of the hydrogen derived fuels not in large volume just in you know a sufficient volume of use to begin with and then a gradual scaling up of that and managing the gradual scaling up over the 15 years so that by 2040 we can expect to see the very large volumes that we'll need what we need to do is be able to define the rewards that different fuels get as a function of their significance in the longer run and also create a level playing field between some of those different options not add to the existing distorted playing field that currently advantages biofuels because they're they're the more mature technology and in use in other sectors today and that's exactly what we did with the energy transition in the uk so in the 80s we didn't know whether it was solar wind uh, tidal wave energy that was going to be the most competitive and the policy design was very clever at making sure that all of those technologies received early stage investment at the beginning of the transition and it sort of levelized their relative competitiveness so it normalized for the fact that they had some initial differences in their costs that's exactly what green balance mechanism fails to do but there are ways in which it could be revised to do that our thought is that it's much more important to do this in a greenhouse gas pricing mechanism and a dedicated greenhouse gas pricing mechanism because we need a good volume of this revenue and investment to come from a fund into the energy transition but we also need to do it for an equitable a just and equitable transition. That means actually targeting the investment in lower income countries to help to balance out some of the inequity that exists today and is why a lot of renewables are not being used in Africa, even though there's a apparently obvious business case. We also need to make sure that countries that are disadvantaged by the cost of decarbonisation that impacts trade are also given some support as we go through the transition. And again, green balance mechanism fails to do that because it's equity naive or equity agnostic if you like it doesn't provide any mechanism for channeling revenues from a pricing mechanism exactly where they're most targeted and most needed so it'll be an uh, an expensive and ineffective tool for a, uh, the objective of a just and equitable energy transition what are your thoughts on this topic should regulators implement a price balancing mechanism like this let us know down in the contributions section Many thanks for joining me today. Kira will be back tomorrow. Please do tune in then. We've got a great week of episodes lined up for you. If you're not a member of Foresight's growing community of listeners and readers, then I'm afraid you'll have to tune back in on Friday when Kira and I will review the week's action. If you can't wait that long, then you're in luck. Subscribing has never been easier or more rewarding. Simply head over to the link in the show notes or foresightmedia.com forward slash onboarding forward slash the jolt to get a month's free access on us, no strings attached. I promise you won't regret it. A reminder to vote in our poll. We'd really appreciate your input on this one. Thanks to everyone behind the scenes at Foresight for helping to make the job possible, and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the Jolt. Jolt.